Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Good evening, everybody. Uh, actually, not from Jerusalem this time. We are gathering at, in the Galilee, uh, not too far from uh, Magdala and the, the place called Migdal near Tiberias. So welcome to our Bible study. We are rest, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, um, discussing predominantly uh, the, the meaning of the works of the Torah and uh, faith of Abraham. But before we do, we will acknowledge that the Lord is present and begin by prayer. Brother Neville? Yes, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your provision in so many ways, Lord, and thank you for the promise above all of your Holy Spirit to guide and teach us. So, Father, we pray that you would honor us by your presence and meet us in our need this evening. Amen. Amen. So, the, uh, we got only through five verses last week. So we had another long, drawn-out conversation around the Torah. Uh, here is a summary from our discussion last week. Once again, our discussion last week centered around the Torah, its meaning and relationship to the Mosaic Covenant, and also to Paul's use of the phrase, the works of the law. Once again, it has to be stated that there is a difference between the Torah, also known as nomos or law in Greek, the Mosaic Covenant, and the phrase, works of the law. Once again, it must be stated that you must never take a passage of Scripture away from its context. The same Paul that's, that seems to advocate freedom from the law is the same Paul that forbids women from speaking or holding authority over men, condones the baptism of the dead, and requires head coverings for women to avoid enticing fallen angels to engage in sexual indecency. The Torah, which includes commandments, obviously starting with the Decalogue, also contains sacred history of the world, national history of Israel. It also contains prophecy to both the Jewish people and the Gentile nations and reveals several covenants, not just one. Some of the covenants are attached to the Torah, and some are not. Covenants such as Abraham, Noah, and Pinchas are not attached to the Torah obedience, although Abraham is said by God to have kept all the Torah in Genesis 26.5. The Torah also contains moral and ethical directives that pertain to relationships in daily life. Paul uses the phrase works of the law when he simply could have said the law. As mentioned last week, prior to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, this phrase, the works of the law, was thought to be an invention of Paul. However, 4QMMT, known as the Halakhic letter, contains the phrase Ma'asei HaTorah, the works of the law thus revealing that the phrase to be in existence a generation prior to Jesus. In the context of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the phrase works of the law refers to particular deeds of the law that separated the Qumran community from other Jews and Gentiles. The highlights include Sabbath observance, food and dietary habits, and circumcision. Paul is not referring to the whole law, but practical portions of the Torah that set ethnic boundary markers for the community. For example, honoring your parents is not a work of the law. Believing in only one God is not a work of the law. 
Loving your neighbor is not a work of the law. Believing in the Messiah is not a work of the law, although these are found within the law. Paul is arguing that Gentiles neither come to the Messiah nor stay in relationship to the Messiah through the practical boundary markers that are associated through any interpretation identified as the works of the law. One does not dismiss the Torah due to the resurrection of the Messiah. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead does not mean that God now condones lying. The Mosaic covenant was broken before Moses even got back down from Mount Sinai with the sin of the golden calf. And it was broken so many more times after that, resulting in the exile to Babylon. A new covenant was prophesied in which the Torah was to be written on the hearts of the people, hearts by which we were commanded to love God. Turning now to the actual text in Galatians 3, we see that Paul now challenges the Galatians. He has publicly challenged Peter in Antioch, and here he publicly challenges the Galatians. The encyclical epistle is to be read in public, thus this truly is a public challenge. Paul asks, who is seducing them? And he uses a language akin to pagan magic. At this point in the text, the nature of the antagonists, those refuting the gospel as preached by Paul, are unknown. We get to know them a bit later. Paul says he publicly portrayed Jesus to them. Nothing was done in secret. The truth of the good news was on full display, both through the scriptures, as explained in the synagogues and in house meetings, and through the actions and life of Paul and Barnabas. The Gentile Galatians are noted by Paul to have received the Holy Spirit. This was something obvious so that, they, that the fruits and the signs of the Spirit were in, among their community. Paul also mentions that the Spirit had performed miracles among the Galatians. Thus it was obvious to all and sundry that the Spirit was indeed present. The Spirit had been poured out on the Galatians as promised by the prophet Joel, seen in the book of Acts, and had not been delivered through the work of the law. Paul also mentioned that the Galatians have suffered for their faith and for possessing of the Spirit, although he does not actually say what forms the persecution and suffering have taken. Aside from the obvious proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit, Paul also appears to Scripture, actually, to the Torah itself. Paul brings in Abraham to remind the Gentiles that righteousness, which is imputed by God, was imputed to Abraham through belief in God. Always keep in mind that God also said Abraham kept the Torahs in plural. What do the Galatians know about Abraham? Well, if the initial Gentiles in the Galatians community are God-fearers, then they are familiar with the synagogue and with the Septuagint Greek Bible. So they are familiar with the Abraham narrative. This would include the promise made by God to Abraham that he would be a blessing to the Gentiles in Genesis 18. Remember, though, that in all this, Abraham himself is indeed circumcised as a sign of the covenant, as God says in Genesis 17, which is before Genesis 18 and the blessings to the Gentiles, that Abraham is to keep the covenant of circumcision forever. This brings us back to the point of the works of the law. Circumcision was a boundary marker that distinguished the position and status within the community of who was Jewish and who was a Gentile God-fearer. Paul's case is not to nullify circumcision, 
as even Abraham is circumcised and must remain so forever, and later Timothy, but that the requirement to be considered equal partakers in the community of believers is not based on the works of the law. As regards status before the Lord, circumcision or non-circumcision has no weight, but that does not mean it has no value. And you see Romans for a fuller explanation from Paul himself. I think that was a reasonable summary from a very lengthy conversation last week. So if it's okay, can we not have that conversation again? <laughs> what we'll do is we'll, we'll go on and we will see how Paul shows in, in what, the, what the Torah was good for, but also what it's not good for. We'll pick it up at uh, Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is, who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. For God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, in, in, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All right, let's see how much of that we can uh, get through um, today. All righty. So back into verse 7. So uh, Paul has been describing to his uh, to the community um, evidence of the Holy Spirit that has appeared to them, that this had not come via works of the law, this had not come by being better or worse than any other member within the community. This had been a free outpouring. And then he appeals to a biblical character. He appeals to a story within the Torah itself, um, which they have had access to. The, they, they know these stories and they would have read them in the, in the Greek, which I don't think contain any, any extra uh, details that are not in, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, like some some books of Septuagint do do carry extra material, like like Daniel and stuff, but not uh, the Genesis does. Father Abraham, and he says, "Know then <clears throat> that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham." And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying. In you shall all the nations be blessed. It's an interesting phrase to describe as a gospel. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. But within those three verses, um, what, is the, what, do you, what do we know about our little father Abraham? What do we, we, we describe him as? A man of faith. Okay, and the story he's encountering is in Genesis. What's interesting about the book of Genesis? Does anyone know? The word faith isn't in it. Emunah. Emunah, correct, right? Emunah isn't actually in the book of Genesis. First time the word faith actually appears is in Exodus. Yet we describe him here as a man of faith. So Paul is not quoting a direct sentence from um Genesis. He does it by by saying Abraham believed God, which is the direct quote. But uh, it's his exegesis putting it all together that he comes to the conclusion that that he's a, a man of faith, and then exegetes us to be sons of Abraham by faith. That's quite powerful because I think it says there: if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. So this faith is a confession because when they stood on Mount Erbil and Gerashim, they yep. had to choose. They had to confess and choose life. So there was a confession to, per se, there's always been some verbal agreement with having to do through our mouth, but also it has to be from our heart. And that is what sums up faith it, to a degree. I mean, there's also outworking, but that's sure, quite sure. powerful. Yeah, I think yeah, Paul's actually been very clever because he can't, he can't quote a direct verse that says Abraham had faith. It's like, and he doesn't want to just say, okay, everybody who believes because he also knows that demons believe, right? So he uses uh, this, this word faith and does it very cleverly. Um, it's a pretty good piece of exegesis and very subtle, okay? And, yeah, he does it really well. Those of faith are the sons of Abraham. Well, that's a very bold statement. So he needs to back that up. And the way he does it is, he goes, and, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand. That's a very interesting sentence. Literally, what does it say? Uh, the scripture preached. Well, it, it took a long time before the Bible, the scripture actually got around to being in print. So it's a, again, he's, 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 he's very, he's, he's doing a, a very interesting piece of exegesis. The scripture foreseeing, really, the Bible has eyes, it can, it's conscious. It's, he's, not, he's not describing it that way. What is the Greek word for scripture there? Is it similar to the word or? It's biblio. No, it's graphe. Oh, it's graphe. Writings. Writings. Oh, it's the writings. Okay. Uh, no, it's the, always graphe. Biblios is, uh, is book. It's the writings. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So that's the, the book of the world, that's in uh, verse 10, biblio. Yeah. The writings. Okay. So the, they, the, the text itself saw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Okay. And how does he know that? Because he now quotes from Genesis 18, um, in you all the nations will be blessed. So the, it's an interesting way of describing it. The gospel is preached. How is it preached? It doesn't say, Abraham, the Messiah is coming who will die. What he says is, Abraham, in you all the nations, all the Gentiles will be blessed. It doesn't say how. This is, this is an incredible uh, promise, leaving a lot of uh, opportunity for exegesis and pondering and thinking. But the, uh, the, the people who are going to be blessed are the nations, the Gentiles. There's a hint of that, really, in Genesis 12 as well. You know, at the, in the first instance of God's blessing upon uh, Abraham. So I, I was just reading Genesis 12. Verse three says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth. The earth will be blessed. Yes. Now, you, I wonder why Paul didn't leak to that one. But anyway, hmm. um, yeah. this is fine. Uh, he, like when, he, when, he, when he had a character to describe that the, the, the Gentiles could, would be made righteous, he could have used Noah or Job. Right? They're, they're Gentiles. And they're both described as righteous people, but um, he doesn't. He, he uses um, Abraham instead, which is interesting. Uh, and here he uses the, the, the Genesis 18 bit. But you're right, he could have used 12 as well. So then, right, so the gospel is that the good news is that all the nations of the world will be blessed. They're not going to be left alone, which is uh, incredible and sits right at the start. Um, of the Torah. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith, even though the actual literal text in Genesis doesn't mention faith at all. A very interesting little um, uh, piece of exegesis. Does anyone remember where the word faith appears? Or Habakkuk 2.4, is that the one in the... In... Uh, that's are you thinking he'll, quote, he'll quote that one in a minute. No, it appears okay. in Exodus 17, Battle of Amalek. Okay, that's uh, takes it takes quite a while for the word faith to, to show up. Oh, okay, I saw what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. The most uh, typical meaning of Emunai in the Old Testament is not faith, it's actually faithfulness. Correct, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, in Greek, uh, it's pistis. What does that mean? It means acting in, in a persistent and uh, faithful manner on what you believe. 
Thank you. Uh, it's got the time dimension, which is so essential. In other words, keep on keeping faith. You know. Keep on keeping, yes, keep on yeah. keeping faith. Um, the Greek, though, how does it read? Uh, the word it's, faith. It's it's always pistis, and it's the same. It has the same duality yeah. as the Hebrew. Yeah. It's very nicely equivalent. Yeah. Does it really? It yeah, does, yeah it, it, does. it really does. Yeah. Yes. And so that's okay. why it's so good to, and and to, to use both the Greek and the Hebrew to convey this idea of faithfulness as being the characteristic that God is after, not any kind of one-time decision. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and when you get to the book of Revelation, you see the rewards are for those who overcome. Yes. Those who kind of don't quite miss the market. Just, you know, I don't know. Yeah, will they scrape through? Well, but the emphasis isn't on overcoming no matter what the circumstances are, in yeah. which you could render as faithful in all things. Yes. Uh, Paul, Paul, he has to, Paul must know this persistent uh, steadfastness that's applied to applied to the word faith when he says we don't walk by sight we walk by faith we don't sit by faith mm. i mean it's not it's not about sitting under a tree and 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 just thinking about the lord in some sort of gnostic way it really is uh, it's quite a it's quite a um an interesting thing yeah. there's a there's a guy called brian kavaznicka does anyone know him yeah yeah yes he, yeah he's yes. doing he's doing his phd on the word on, on the walk in Greek um, and all the terms where that comes out to see if it, uh, if it has a lot, where it has the relevance of halakha, like where it means to walk out your faith as a, as a way of practice. So uh, look forward to reading that one. Okay. So I think, I think Paul does a really, very, really cool, interesting little piece of exegesis there as a, to describe Abraham as a man of faith even without the text physically saying it. Yeah, it. And then... Can I, can I just add a thought, uh, Aaron? It's, I think I, I really enjoy the fact that the idea of preaching the gospel yeah. is associated with an understanding that it's for the whole world. Yes. Yeah, you're so, right. That, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just a blessing for the uh, ancient chosen people of God. It's a... And, you know, verse 8 in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nation, Gentiles by faith preach the gospel beforehand. To yeah. Yeah. And, the, and what preached the gospel? The scriptures. I mean, that, that's it's incredible. It wasn't like a, a man did it or something like that. It, the, the very words of God do it, which is very powerful. All right. So now, verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law, and I'm wondering if that's a, a fair translation, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book. So that's where the word Biblio comes in when I looked at it, of the law and do them. Um, REA, is that a fair translation? It's not literal. Rely is uh, is an invention of the translators here. It's, that's uh, what I thought. I couldn't find it's, it. Uh, for, for as many are as uh, in the works of the law, literally. For as many are in. As are in the works of the law. So, okay, so what do you think they mean by that? Or what Paul is, do you think Paul is meaning rely or Paul is? Well, I think this uh, speaks to Paul's view of location, of where the law is in effect and good and holy and where we are. Right. He believes we've been moved into another kingdom yeah. where the law does not, uh, does not have any 
power over us. Right. I mean, I think well, it's also has this meaning of those who are in the works of the law who consider themselves fortunate to be inside those boundary markers. Right. That's that's the way I read it too. That they're in, and they were they were considering that as their their strength, their their uh, salvation, their um, their identity, their their well being, and all that kind of stuff. And um, which Paul is like, no, not at all. This is completely wrong. Because you know, if you keep reading this book, you'll discover it's got some very interesting things to say. A curse. So curse is anyone who does not abide by what is written in the law to do them. All right. So now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the which has already been discussed in Psalm 40, 143, where the, it already says no one is righteous. He's already made the point very publicly with Peter. We already know no one is righteous. We've got it covered. Now he throws another pasuk, another text. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For, and then he quotes, the righteous shall live by faith. Any, uh, anything to, to note about verse 11? Whose faith? Sorry? Whose faith? Yeah, he, he actually doesn't quite translate it right. Which is very. Do you know what version he's quoting from, uh, Aria? Because um, which words? Um, he's quoting Habakkuk two four, right? Okay. He's quoting Septuagint Greek. The righteous shall live by faith. The actual Hebrew is. Emanato uh, yichye. Uh, yes, right. But emanato, right? The there's yeah. a possessive, a his, but the his isn't there. The in right. Septuagint it translates it as my, right? Is that 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 is is that correct? Septuagint Greek. I I don't. I'd have to check. I don't have it in front of me yeah, right now. I, I went to double check it. The Septuagint says the righteous shall live by my faith. Okay, and it's like, well, that's really cool. Uh, I wonder why they were translating it that way. Okay, I guess they were trying to figure out who was the his. But here he just misses that completely. Um, why do you think he did that? I mean, there's no way we can possibly argue, uh, no, but it's a very interesting little thing that sometimes when you read quotes from the Hebrew Bible, they're not exactly the same. And there's, there's, got, there's reasons why. Um, any ideas? I always thought that it would, for me, it, when I thought about it, it always seemed to me that it is, we have to live by the faith of Christ Jesus, because he completed the work and it's finished, but yeah. we also have a part to pay. So it's his faith and it's also our own faith. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think. And I, and I, think, it's, I think that's best when it's done in Hebrew. But, of course, he's quoting Greek and then completely misses the, the, personal, the, the personal pronoun. Um, but uh, the righteous shall live by faith. And, of course, as we've discussed, faith isn't this Gnostic, you know, one, two, three, I, I, I believe it's um, a persistent steadfastness, a faithfulness that um, carries on until, the, the, well, it probably even carries on after death. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to know, Aaron, in, in my version, I think the one you're using as well, Habakkuk 2.4 has a footnote on the word faith, which says faithfulness. So yes, we can right. actually just as easily say the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. Yeah, and actually I like the way that, that, that plays out. I think that's the right one. So here, 
and and I and I think Paul really means that too. I, I, that's I, I think that even though it might be missing the personal pronoun, I still think that the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. And then of course that begs the question: Well, who is the his? And I think Vita's got it right. There, there's multiple hises: God, the Messiah, his own response to God working through him. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, but the law is not. Aaron, Aaron sorry, I, I have a digital version of, of the ESV, and it says that verse three, verse eleven could be re- uh, read, "Or the one who by faith is righteous will live." So, okay, the one who one by, faith. by faith is righteous will live. Well, if I if I may throw something in there, go for it. Shim. Hello, Aaron. Shalom, everyone. Hey. All right. Um, I believe um, Paul is speaking to people that um, usually will have read the scripture. So when he quotes it in that way, they understand where he's trying to quote from and they um, they, they can fill in the gaps. I mean, we, we okay. use that in our, um, in our communication, you know, usually use um, like, a, like a, a, a kind of um, way to, to make the people participate in your um in your communication you just quote a part of it and allow the other person to to do the remainder do the rest. To to yeah okay yeah that could be it it could be that um they actually went hey wait wait he's missing the personal pronoun maybe that's the point maybe we gotta figure out what he's what he's doing uh, maybe yeah. could be we have to remember that that this community of god fearers the only bible they have at the moment is of course septuagint septuagint bible and so they would have uh, this text with them. I doubt Paul is quoting Bible at them that they don't know, okay, or they don't have access to, okay, or they couldn't check for themselves. Okay, but the law is not of faith. Well, what do you mean by that, dear brother? Um, because the people who have faith usually pick the law up in their hands every Shabbat and start reading it. So what are we talking about? The law is not of faith. Rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Okay, that's another quote from the Bible. Isn't this coming to the heart of the matter of what Paul's speaking about? In the sense that here he's trying to say the law is in in this context is very physical. It's it's from the flesh. And he's talking in our our walk with Christ Jesus is by faith because it's spiritual. It's not that what God's declared through the law is wrong. But it's how you do it. It's either you're doing it in the flesh, which just can never please God because it's always going to fail because it's from the world, it's worldly, or it's through the spirit and the heart. Yeah, I think, yes, because right from the start, and we've had to mention this like two two or three weeks in a row, remember the Mosaic covenant was broken before before Moses even got down the mountain, right? You know, we already make a covenant. No, we already blew it. I was like, oh, my gosh. Now what do we do? Uh, Try again? You know, um, and uh, but they already know, gee, this is really hard. Well, maybe there's a point for that. Let's learn from this. It doesn't mean that God, it's okay to commit murder because obviously we can't, you know, obey the law. That's not what we're saying. But, um, but yeah, you're right, Vida. There's something about where was it meant to be, how spiritual was it. That doesn't mean it's inherently wrong or evil. Can't possibly be. It's from God. But... Um, but uh, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Well, of course, because that's actually true, right? Um, 
the Messiah, what did he so do? It's quotes from Leviticus. It's from Leviticus. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And which is the same same book you get, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's the exact same. It's it's the same spirit saying the same thing. And Paul is taking little pieces out. He's actually taking them slightly out of context, but that's not the point. You can do that in in Jewish exegesis. I know I told everybody don't do that, but uh, in Jewish exegesis, they do do it all the time. And uh, and they weave, they weave together their little, uh, their little um, teaching. Okay. And he says, the Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, how did he do that? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And uh, uh, which is a very interesting uh, thing to say. Um, uh, how do, is, who, anyone want to try and unpack that? How does, how does Jesus become a curse or is cursed? Paul is referring to the current interpretation in the Second Temple period of the uh, verse in Deuteronomy, where God says, uh, if you've executed someone and he's hanging on the tree, take him off by nighttime and bury him. Yeah. Or, 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 or a curse is on everything hanging. He seems to be implying that uh, it's a curse against me if you abuse a human body in this way. For goodness sake, even if you have to execute them, take them down and bury it. Yeah. But in the Second Temple period, this has been extended, and I think probably because of the common Roman practice of crucifixion yeah. uh, to cover anybody who ha- had suffered an execution in, the, in this manner. Yeah. Kalala there is usually used as something that people do. It's not something that God does. Kalala always comes from people. It's people who are cursing God by abusing this body that's made in his image. It's been reinterpreted, though, and it is a little bit subtle in the Second Temple period and was commonly uh, apparently viewed as a crucified person suffering God's curse. Ah, okay, so that God had actually then cursed them. That's what, that's the common Protestant interpretation of this verse right here. Okay, so do you think it's contrary to the original intent? Okay, sure. It might be contrary to the original intent, but right. do you think it Paul is in is accordance? It is in accordance with what the Jews believed at the time, apparently. Okay, so do you think Paul is using it in that way? Yes, yes. and he and he was cursed. I mean, all you have to do is read Matthew uh, twenty-seven or so, or any of the other. I mean, he was abused and cursed through the whole process. So yeah. he he was cursed, but 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 not by God. He was cursed by the people that uh, oversaw the process of crucifying him. Right. Yeah, and just to add this to what uh, Ari have said, um, if you look at when the law was given, I'm sure the people were not trying to imagine people being crucified in uh, a Roman stake. They right. didn't have that picture of somebody being crucified, and so um, Paul was trying to bring the picture of what um, was said in Deuteronomy 21, 23. They say you must not let the corpse remain on the stake overnight, but you must bury him. Same day, one impaled body is an affront to God. You must not defile the land um, the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So they allowing the body to remain will be um, will transfer the cost because anyone that is hanging on the cross is kind of um, showing that there, there is a cost and the cost will affect the land. And so he was saying that Jesus has become this cause 
that has to be taken off the, the, the tree um, so that the, uh, the, the cost will not come on the people anymore, but it will be on the body. Yep. Cool. Yep. It was, it was the Roman practice of leaving people on there, wasn't it? For days on end? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes it could take several days for them to die, but, but Jesus would be, had been, been so badly abused through flogging and other stuff that he, he, he was, I mean, some people even died from flogging before right. crucifixion. Yeah. Even after, did they leave them on there for a few days just to like show? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Okay. As, as a deterrence. It's, it's, it's just state terrorism, yeah. really. State terrorism. I just want to ask a question for everybody that's, that's teaching. Um, do y'all believe that Deuteronomy 21 as a whole is or was taken as a messianic, a Mashiach prophecy? What do y'all think about that? You mean at the time? Yes. Second uh, Temple period. Uh, during the Second Temple um, period. What do y'all think? Um, I... Uh, well, I don't think that they were thinking that. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know of any example in any other Jewish literature that mentions, I mean, um, there was, there is uh, the, two, the two Messiah theory, right? That the Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. So right. there was there was a second temple idea that a, a messiah would die, and another messiah would come and do the conquering bit. They sort of looked at the various prophecies of the of the Bible and and, and decided no, there's, there's two different people here, and split them into two. But I don't think any of I don't think the death of the messiah was on a tree. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls has him falling in battle. I think probably to Romans or something. But um, or whatever they envisaged to be their great enemy, or of the cursed part. Do you think that they had that they were thinking? Is there any evidence that they would think that the that this Mashiach ben Yosef would have been uh, cursed in some fashion by humans and not by God, and that would be his purpose? I'm just I have no idea. I'm asking the scholars that are sitting here. I honestly I don't know, Roddy. Sorry, mate. You beat me on okay. that one. We're going to edit that question out because you know that's just embarrassing. We don't know something. No, we're not. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, curse is anyone who hangs on a tree, and we're taking it that that uh, Paul was using it in its late Second Temple period context. Okay, not in the original bit. So uh, it ha it has the weight and meaning of uh, Jesus being being cursed. And so that in the Messiah, in Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, this bit that was prophesied several times in Genesis, so that we might receive the promised spirit, which is going to you get prophecies like Joel, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and we're going to get it through faithfulness. Okay, this, this idea of, of uh, allying ourselves with the Messiah, with God, and, uh, and, and walking according to his will, receiving the promise. Okay? And, uh, and as we saw in the book of Acts, that Holy Spirit can come all different ways, sometimes after baptism, sometimes before baptism, you know, sometimes by the laying on of hands, or who knows, but he comes, and, uh, and, then, and then he stays.
It's interesting that the blessing, he's talking directly only to the Gentiles here because Correct. the Jewish, Jewish people already are under that covenant per se. They are uh, children of Abraham, although right. they're not of faith. Yes, they have a faithfulness and, and because the new covenant, right, the new covenant was made with the house of Israel. So the yes. most natural people to believe in the Messiah, to be part of all this already, were Jews. Great. And um, so, so, sorry, do you think that Paul is giving this scenario, this example, to show how the Gentiles can be heirs of the Abrahamic covenant as yeah, well? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. This is another one of his little midrashic ways to try and say, don't you get it, guys? You're exactly the same standard as, as, as Jews. This, stop, stop this wall of separation. I mean, in Ephesians, he literally says, like, tear down this wall. Don't, don't yeah. build it back yeah. up. Um, and it's interesting that it's not the Gentiles that make the wall, right? Yes, very, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the Jewish people. When the Jewish people build the temple, they build the wall that says Gentiles no further here. And Paul's like, what are you doing? You know, um, this is, we, 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 it's, it's our fault we're doing this. It's our poor exegesis. We've got to stop that because, it, because the scriptures are already prophesying way back in the beginning of the Torah that, that uh, the Gentiles are going to come. We sing it in our psalms. We believe it in our prophecies. And he does a very clever thing to tell these Gentiles, no, you've got the promise. You might, he, he, they already have the Holy Spirit, but he's just giving the theological background to try and say, you didn't get this from identifying uh, with, the, with the works of the law yeah. and trying that, that kind of way. And, and Jesus, when he's being uh, questioned on, on the Temple Mount just before his death, he points out this thing that hasn't isn't my house called a house of prayer for all nations? Yes. Quotes from Isaiah yeah. six. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The way the Paul used the word um, that we and Gentiles, um, I'm trying to understand what he actually meant. He said, in order that through the Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so we might receive. Now, who is this we? Is it trying to make himself with the Gentiles or is positioning himself like a Jew? That's a good question. Uh, Arie, can you give us some help on the Greek? Is it it's a it's, uh, we, Labelman. Uh, Paul is uh, it's one big happy family. I mean, he's going to clarify that yeah. even more. <laughs> yeah. He's very suddenly <laughs> taken the promise away from Isaac and given it to Christ. I mean, it's going to be ex stated explicitly in another few verses. It's a huge yeah, 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 right. stumbling block here to Israel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's a it's a, it's a clever use of the word we. All right. Yes. That's very good. I have to he's he's putting himself with with them. Yeah. Can you give me the Greek word for that? It's labomen. We we re may, might receive subjunctive okay. present subjunctive. Means you have a might or a should or a would have in it instead of a it is or it is being, so that so that we might so that we can oh, make it possible. Okay, if anybody else understood that, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sort of. So so Paul Paul now gives his third example. He's already done. You physically have the spirit. Now I'm going to prove it through the Torah. He physically placed some, some mid, various midrashim, very, very Jewish, good Jewish exegesis with the text. Now he does it again. 
Oh, to give you a human example, brothers, okay, I'll throw in some more examples. If you haven't quite figured this out yet, even with a man-made covenant, even if we have any sort of agreement, okay, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Okay, so, but we're talking about a divine covenant that God's made with Abraham. So it doesn't matter what comes after it, these blessings and promises that appear in Genesis 12 and, 11 and 18 have to also be valid and come true. Now, the promises are made to Abraham and to his offspring. And again, very clever look at uh, the text okay, uh, by one of those reading the, the words with a fine tooth comb. It does not say to offsprings in plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring. Okay, which he says, using his exegesis, this, well, that's the Messiah. Okay, and um, this is what I mean. And uh, he uses the word, so the law, which came 430 years afterward. Okay, now by here, he's not referring to. Torah as five books or sacred history because he's quoting from it. He's referring to the, the law as it's applied to the Mosaic covenant, which come 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, which is, by the way, also in the Torah. Remember, remember our, we, the, when the word nomos, it's a huge gambit of things. It's, and it's very difficult or it's problematic if you start going, uh, well, they all mean exactly the same thing. They, they, they kind of don't. So it does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So this is like a culver chomer. Um, if, if a human covenant is just as is strong and you can't add it, how much more must a covenant by God be true? Or if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. And here he's talking to the Mosaic covenant. It no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham as a promise, even though it's a covenant. And so there were parts of, that Abraham also had to do. And, um, uh, and one of those things was in, uh, in Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, you will keep my covenant of circumcision forever. Okay, so that's tied in there. And that's actually before Genesis 18. Uh, the blessings to the to the Gentiles, although it is after Genesis 12. Okay, so there's a little interesting little um, sandwich in there. Can I just yeah. contribute a, just a thought from the the three aspects of the covenant in Genesis Genesis 12, 15, and 17. Yep. Uh, Genesis 15 is the one where these the animals are sacrificed and divided yes, in 15, half, and, yeah. and something representing the presence of God through smoke and um, and flame walks between the you know goes between the halves of the animals as if to say well but this part of uh, cutting a covenant was standard understanding that whoever breaks this this covenant will will end up in two halves like this stuff here yeah and so only god's presence goes down it so abraham was not in the position of 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 requiring to you know putting his life on the line for breaking the covenant but all he had to do was to believe God meant what he said, and that was his righteousness. And to walk it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but his righteousness would be ex expressed by a relationship with the Almighty. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. And then in relation to 
the circumcision, that's a separate issue. It's not attached to that walking between the parts, but it doesn't mean that Abraham's not meant to get circumcised. Does that make sense? I know, I get, I know you, you, your head spins with it sometimes when you think about it, but Paul is not going to say to Jews, stop circumcising your sons, but he is going to say, stop thinking that is what gets you into heaven. No, circumcise your sons. Why are we circumcise sons? Because that's what we do, dude. God told us to do it. We do it. It's a sign. It's a covenant. It's forever. We keep doing it. But it's not something that we wander up into, you know, the the heavenly courtroom, uh, take our clothes off and go, see, I'm circumcised. Can I get in now? Well, it might work that way, brother. Okay. Um, Before we move on, a small side note of interest to me, at least. Okay. It's not stated here, but the, the promise actually was not that the families of the earth would be blessed so much as that his seed would inherit the land that he was going to go walk around in, the length and the breadth of. And if we put that promise in Genesis together with uh, Paul's interpretation here, it means that Jesus of Nazareth is the title deed owner of the land of Israel. Ah, wow, okay. Very interesting. Yeah, there you go. Uh, What's going on here is completely underneath, under his uh, supervision and in his, in his uh, providence. I don't think, I actually haven't quite ever heard that one express it that way, mainly because I've only ever thought of the promise being referring to the blessing that he was talking about before, that the Gentiles were going to be uh, able to come yes. in. That's Paul's main point. There, I'm just I take it up a little side, a little no, side implication. It's a great little sideway. I have to uh, get you to email me that one so I can include it in the notes properly. Do you think that's why in Revelation Messiah takes up his throne in Jerusalem? Well, he's coming hmm. back to the city. Clearly, he loves the city. Correct. He has unfinished business here. Uh, it's the main point of what's going on here. It's. Why do we have anti-Semitism that turned into anti-Israelism? It's not just uh, some sort of world cultural thing. Yeah, hmm. uh, we all agree with you, but uh, yes, so many, so many others don't see it that way. It's um, and it's also believed that um, the city of Jerusalem is actually Garden of Eden, yep. and um, the Lord is yep. coming back to His garden that He made here on earth. Yep, that's uh, one yeah. way. Yep. And I love the way that Jesus refers to Jerusalem as the city of the great king, mm. his father. Actually, yes, um, that there's a psalm. Oh, psalm 48. Actually, yeah. Yes. Um, just, uh, just actually this morning, I got up, got up at, at five this morning and I had to finish uh, some sermon notes for the next week's sermon notes for those that know I write these little things. And um, it was about... Uh, one 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 of the readings was Samuel, where David moves his capital to Jerusalem. Then the psalm responds with Psalm 48, Jerusalem, praise the Lord, Jerusalem, city of the great king. So mm-hmm. praise was actually linked to a place, and mm-hmm. the place was linked to a monarch. And, um, and kings come, kings go. Uh, not all of them are great. Some of them are. But this was, a you know, the great king, a d- definite article, which was obviously a a messianic uh, sign. But it's interesting, location, location, location is very important. <laughs> and so many things happen in, in places and praise is linked to a city. I mean, many cities around the world have incredible things. 
Some cities have beautiful views. Some cities have great rivers and lots of water. Some cities are built next to great resources and they can flourish as trade and industry. But none of them have a great king. Right? None of them have that connection to heaven. Uh, none of them have that bit that sort of says, this is where things started and this is where things finish. Geography is also theology, uh, which is a very interesting thing to say. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm not quite sure how we got into that. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, oh, yes, I did. Because uh, because Jesus is coming here, he's going to rule the land, right? Title deed owned to Jesus. Okay, city of the great king. So we all we're all um, in hundred percent agreement there. Aaron, it's uh, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Yes, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Taylor, it's Psalm forty-eight. Psalm forty-eight. Yeah. One of them. One of them. Yeah. <laughs> And that's actually from uh, one of the songs, Son Sons of Korah, isn't it? I think it so. is. And uh, James Block sings it. He sings it really good. <laughs> Bit of a plug there for you for a YouTube video. Okay. So. No, he's my neighbor. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so why then the law? I mean, let's, you know, I thought we had ditched it. No, wait a second. Why then the law? Why was it here in the first place? If we were going to break it before we even got down the mountain, um, what was the point of the whole thing, whole exercise? And then he, Paul says an interesting, it was added because of? Transgressions. transgressions. Whose transgressions? Yeah, interesting. That's a, that's a question. Whose transgressions? Is transgressions a fair enough translation to start with, Aria? Or is it just sins? Yes, transgressions. Okay. So who's transgressing? What do you think? Give us some examples. Who's good? Humans. Okay, we humans. humans. <laughs> Mine. My, okay. Yeah. All right. So, what do you what do you think? Is it just is just Israel's? I mean, we we destroyed Egypt, so there's no no point giving them the Torah. They're all dead. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, but we have we have we haven't approached Africa with the Torah. Uh, what do you think, yeah. Ari? <laughs> Oh, I, I think the laws laws have been around long before Moses, and now they lasted long after. Well, there are lots of different laws, but for some reason God gives this set of laws to a set group of people. It's very interesting why he does it this way. But it's a good question. Who's you know, Aaron, yeah. yeah. When the, the first time we heard about the name um, Jerusalem in the, in the version of Salem, King of Salem, I was talking about Melchizedek, and he yep. was priest. He was a priest of the Most High God, and a priest must have some set of laws. So, what were those laws that that would have made this priest the priest? Because um, Paul said that when there is a change of priesthood, there is also necessitated a change of law. So, there is a law that this priest was using. So, we already know that the law has been in existence before the Mosaic law. There have been all laws, all laws that have been communicated. And what will be, what a priest will be teaching? He has to be teaching a particular law to these people. And we believe that this law is the Torah itself, which was um, not yet revealed by Moses, but it has been revealed to a lot of persons. Okay, yeah. And uh, another example is 
Abraham is said by God to have kept the Torahs in plural. You're like, well, how yes, could he do that? He haven't yeah. even haven't come down the mountain yet. And how could he possibly say he kept my Torahs? <laughs> yeah. Because he didn't. He lied. He wasn't perfect. You know, there's no possible way. Um, and, if, and, so, and if Noah was a preacher of righteousness, then there must have been a distinction between what was wrong and right. That's also true, yes. Um, how was Job called righteous? Very when, good. When he's not even, well, not even Jewish, not even living in the land of Israel. Okay, Job is just this incredible, mysterious character. You know, God says to Satan, what about, what about you check out my righteous servant? He's righteous. You know, and, and and Satan says, yeah, yeah, but that's only because he's wealthy. He appears to have been an Edomite. Yeah. I said, well, oh, my gosh, don't say that out too loud. <laughs> Malachite's, uh, Malachite himself. Yeah. Cain certainly couldn't have known that it was wrong to murder his brother. If it wasn't written yet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I saw him kill an animal. So I, I've never seen anyone kill anything before. I, I had a go at it. Uh, sorry, I whacked his head. <laughs> Although God does speak to Cain and he said, sin's crouching at your door, master him. Yes, that's actually true. Yeah, yes. yeah. So the sin is the wrongdoings or is a transgression. Yep. And that's why there needs to be a law in any society. Um, any society that does, does away with law will become lawless and things will become chaotic. Um, and that's why it's very, very dangerous when we begin to teach that Christ has done away with the law uh, in the sense that uh, we don't need to keep the law anymore. Um, it's, it is, um, it's one of the end time spirits that will say that um, men will be haters of the law. And so we have to be very careful about that. So the question really is the root of all the lawlessness really comes from the garden. So wouldn't he be referring back to the root of all sin, which all lawlessness comes from? Could be. Well, listen, adjunct to that to say that actually the overflowing of lawlessness came through the fallen angels in Genesis chapter six. <laughs> True. So okay. it was not just the loss of relationship and death that happened in the garden. It was the overflowing of transgressions to all the nations and this is the second temple period understanding that the the fallen angels were given authority over over the gentiles nations during the scattering of babel and um both these events as well as the original fall so genesis 6 and genesis 10 as well as the fall um are the three issues that anyone who comes in the name of the lord as his anointed one has got to address and you can hear more if you listen to Michael uh, Heiser. Oh, Heiser. Yeah, yes, he's got a lot to say. About <laughs> I agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's there's a lot packed into this word because of transgressions. You know, it's it's the propensity of people to to just completely fall away from God, and God needs not just a he's wanting not not just a relationship, but he needs to make sure people understand the fact how far they've fallen away or missed the mark in terms of of how they should live before in the presence of god so mm -hmm. it, the, the law is added to make you absolutely aware how how that you can't keep it yeah so, how, how far we've come yeah, yeah yeah and it's interesting because the torah it really does serve as an accommodation to human weakness you know in jeremiah it says 
He says, for in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them uh, concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in the ways that I command you that it may be well with you. And it's just, you know, the iniquities um, in Isaiah, it says your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden, hidden his face. So we do want to know what pleases him. It really does accommodate our human weakness. It shows us what his will is so that we aren't separated from him, as it says in Isaiah. Yes, there was so much incredible tension within the Bible itself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jeremiah comes along in, 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 in 17. The heart is deceitful. The heart is always deceptive. Well, hang on. You just told me to love God with all my heart. Well, it's always deceptive. Well, what hope have I got now? Well, it's, uh, yeah, write the laws on my heart, but my heart's always deceptive. It's like, follow your heart. Don't do that. Your heart's always deceptive. I mean, that's actually probably pretty good advice. Um, but, uh, but, but it, it's, it, yeah, there's a lot of tension there. And there's so many levels here that when we say added because of transgressions, whose transgressions, I think it's actually all encompassing in all this. Although, in context, he is referring to the, the, the mosaic bit that, that came down. So he's referring to the physical law that came down from, from Mount Sinai, although acknowledging it was already, laws already in, in existence. Because once you're actually into the Torah, then you've already know that laws exist. Melchizedek's, Cain's, um, Abraham's, uh, everybody's. Okay, so the law, why was it added? Well, it was added because of the transgressions. I mean, there's, there's got to be something. One, it shows us uh, how far we've fallen. And two, it offers some sort of defense because it's going to say we it was it was our guardian. It was a, there was some sort of defense. Might not have been as, as good as we might have liked, but it's still something. Why was it here? It was here until the offspring, this single uh, messianic figure, should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Uh, the obvious okay. question, Aaron, is that this intermediary, is it the angel or is it something above the angel, but in other words, the second power in heaven? Oh, there you go. So it was put in place through angels. Where does he get this idea from? It's a contemporary Judaism, and you see it in Daniel and those kind of things. Yeah, does anyone... Neil does, seven, right? does, does everybody know what Neville's actually referring to? Or does anyone actually know what question I'm actually asking? Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, so, so Paul says that the Torah was mediated to Moses through angels. That is not what you find in the book of Exodus. Right? In the book of Exodus, God is communicating with Moses direct. But in the second temple period, people, uh, the, the, the exegetical tradition was there is absolutely no way God spoke to Moses or Moses spoke to God because if that happens, uh, he would have died. Right? Sort of, died. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a sort of it's it, no. It, and in the in the Reformation period, Martin Luther, you know, was like, "Oh my gosh, my righteousness is so filthy. If I dare come before God, I'll be burnt up in a puff of smoke." And you're like, "Wow. Okay. God really loves you so much. That's going to happen." But that was the way that they thought, right? And uh, and so they had created this, I don't think created maybe is not the right way, 
But as part of their exegetical tradition, it became the tradition that, that angelic beings were involved in transmitting the words of heaven to man. And it's interestingly that um, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Well, who is that? And um, uh, please don't say Metatron. But, uh, but yes, this sort of, because <laughs> as, um, as the Talmud does, but as, uh, as Neville was saying, the other power in heaven. It was already a second temple uh, understanding that there were multiple powers in heaven. Undefined, not always agreed about. Some people thought it was heretical, but it was there. And, and, uh, and you, you find various second temple period uh, texts and exegetical traditions reflecting that. Can I just suggest that the clearest passage for any of our listeners will be Daniel chapter seven, where you see the one like the son of man coming on the clouds and is given dominion in the presence of the almighty. They, they, it's unequivocal, this son of man coming on the clouds is not the almighty, not the ancient of days, Yeah, it's another one. And yeah. uh, so that's, in one small passage that contains this explosive idea. Yep, agreed. And it was so explosive and still remains so. So in modern Jewish uh, tradition, Daniel's not even recorded as a prophet. They put him in the writings, although, to be fair, that doesn't actually help solve the problem because it's still in the Bible <laughs> as still holy word. So you can put it wherever you like. Okay, but you're still going to have to wrestle with it and try and figure out who is this person. So an intermediary. Uh, we also have this. We also have this problem with in Genesis where the three angels came to meet um, Abraham, yeah. and um, the two of the angels left, and Abraham stood with the third angel, and that third angel was referred to as the Lord. As the Lord. Who then I say Abraham to stood eat, before the Lord. <laughs> so it's um, it's it's a it's a very it's a very um, um a very tricky one and very confusing. Also in um, Book of Ezekiel, it mentions things like that and a lot of um, Second Temple literature. You you will see a, a lot of things that kind of um, um, portray that. But they say that when you talk about the Son of Man, is um, talking about God when he's in his youth, when he says dark. You know, and they're the same person, they're talking about God um, as the ancient of days, that when his hair is gray. Right. So it's referring about the same thing, but in different perspective. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. When he's going to war, he's going like uh, the son of man. But when he's judging the nations, he's he judges like the ancient of days. Uh -huh. Yeah, he's old, but it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> Just another little insight. There's this guy who's the captain of the Lord's host that Joshua is required to worship. Yes. Unlike angels would normally refuse, <laughs> absolutely refuse to be worshipped. Yeah. Joshua had to, had to remove his shoes and worship mm. and just make sure yeah. he listened to what the commander of the Lord's host said. And then when they were going through the wilderness, and they got, God got upset with the sin of the golden cavity. I'm not going to go with you. I won't, I won't go. There will <laughs> my presence will not go and I'll send. There's that meeting. Right yeah. 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 Yes, indeed. It's the exegetical traditions that appear in late Second Temple period with all of these um, stories um, 
are, are really quite a lot of fun. In the Testament of Abraham, it, Sarah, which is a, uh, a book of very late, it's like 100 years before Jesus, it describes this encounter of God eating with Abraham. And uh, Sarah shows up and says, Abraham, remember that cow we, we killed for, to serve the Lord and we ate and drank? Well, uh, it just resurrected, right? And uh, <laughs> what? Who the? What they were trying to say is anything connected to the Lord, even an animal, which you've consumed can be resurrected whole again, and uh, mm -hmm. which is a sort of theological inyan. They're not, they're, not, they're not trying to say, oh, my gosh, this actually physically happened, but it shows you that they, they thought resurrection was so powerful that, God was, that, that, that the, the touch of the Lord was so strong, even if you had eaten a cow, it could somehow come back to life, which is a very powerful way of trying to describe resurrection. Can I just a little anecdote on the same topic, which I find is really moving. There's a guy called Jacob Bronowski who, who did a television series decades ago about the rise of civilization. And it was a Jewish guy, and he was standing at Auschwitz telling everybody what they needed to know about the, the atrocity that happened there. And he, he quoted, or he, he adapted the words of Ezekiel when Ezekiel says, can these bones live? And he said, can these ashes live? Mm. And the answer is, yes, Amen. They can. yes, they can. Can I ask a question, just going back to verse 19? Because we're talking about the, um, when you read it, it's a, I first assume that it's the law is ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. But do you, and again, just maybe it's just a question. Do you think it could be saying, that it is the, he's talking about the law, then he's saying, till the seed should come, yeah. to whom the, whom the promise was made. And it's the promise that is ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. What's been talked about here? Because I, I tend to believe every word of God is perfect. And so I don't think Paul's making up anything out of hearsay. It's all, to me, everything is perfectly done. So ordained by angels is it not the promise he's talking about i may be wrong i'm just asking uh in english i can see where you're going probably have to ask our greek scholars to see if the actual yes, subject is yes. the torah or if it's the promise um is there any way you could double check that for us aria while we talk it is true that the in the second temple period they did think that angels were the mediator uh well sorry were the were the mediator um uh bringing the torah down and that's attested to by other other works. So I think that he's running, to, that he's following that same line, that is the Torah. But I understand what you're saying, that it could be read as the promise is actually uh, what I think he's, personally, I think he's using, he's mixing his metaphors here. He started out talking about the law as a list yep. of rules and uh, et cetera, but he's now, he's using it as a, a prophetic, element pointing forward until the messiah comes it's like jesus says all the law and the prophets were until john the baptist mm. Mm. okay yeah so he's, so in he's that going case, he's going he's about to expand this theme in the next part of the chapter as well when he calls the law the pedagogos the household slave leading the child to the true teacher right what we, we're trying to 
just to see here, is, is it possible that the Greek allows the promise to be the subject or the or the law is the subject? Ordained um, by angels, yeah. Yeah. Does, does well, it, the, law, the law is the subject of the sentence yeah. in verse okay, 19. Okay, the law is the law. Okay. Okay. Law is subject to the sentence. Okay, all right. Nope, that was the way I've always thought it was to be read. But okay. So now, uh, verse 20, and we'll, and we'll finish it there, but now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. But we, in the previous sentence, we said that the intermediary was who? The angels. An angel. Angels. Okay. Through angels by an intermediary, which could have been, and we had... We had Set that figure as, yeah, the son of man, the ancient of days, the mediator. But here he says, but the mediary, intermediary implies more than one. Now, why would it do that? Now, in Jewish tradition, the idea, the idea that um, when God came down, he didn't come by himself. He, he's always the commander of the heavenly armies. He's always appearing with the angelic host of heaven. And so they said, no, 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 he came down with, you know, 600,000 angels and you go well, where'd you get that number from you know, it was like one for every man but this kind of idea that every single person had their own individual angel bringing them the torah that's a lovely nice little picture now yeah the women the women you know <laughs> yeah let's let's not go there Yvonne. <laughs> yeah well, you, know, right. what, you know we are you know to where we where we submit to our husbands our husbands yeah. to christ christ okay. to god so it's all it's all in there it's all we're in the part of the six dare i say <laughs> preachers just said no i won't say that okay in, in, in jewish exegesis they were they, they were like the household the household had their okay we're life. one we're one we're one we're so we're one you're one everybody's getting their angels but um <laughs> but, but god is one yeah, he, this is a, obviously a monotheistic line, but why do you think he has to say that? I mean, if you took that sentence out, the whole thing would have still made sense anyway. REA, why, why the intermediary? Is, it, is that a plurality? Is it a plural in Greek? No, it's one, it's one in mediator. Uh, I don't yeah. understand this particular passage, but no, the, this, word, this word mesites appears again in, in Timothy where... Uh, Paul says uh, there's one mediator between God and human beings, the man Jesus Christ. Yeah. Same word. Yeah. Do you think it's implying the Trinity per se? I don't think Paul was concerned about that as, as a doctrine, but uh, that the functionality of Christ uh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of Mark um, 12. 28 29 when jesus says here O israel the lord our god the lord is one and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart he you know the same as a, as a shema and could he be just saying there's one god there's a mediary this is this this you know yeshua but there's also a difference in in authority as it says in corinthians right mm -hmm. the woman to the man the man to christ to christ to god and maybe i don't know could he want to emphasize that idea? I don't know. I, you know, I'm I, I'm actually just as confused as Rea is because um, uh, no, I don't know Greek. But when I had a look at it, I'm going, no, wait a second. The intermediary is is not a, a multiple, not a not a plural. I don't know why he says it. This the 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 passage. His argument would be just as effective if you didn't have this verse. So you think, why why did he have to say that? Um, maybe it was because they did 
they did have this tradition that you know multiple angels were showing up on Mount Sinai, and he's like, "Well, wait a second, let's let's not let's not talk about that um, because um, you really there's really only one. There's only really only one God, but he doesn't say the mediator is the one, which is a, which is to me confusing. Oh. So I I, I I I admit I am confused. So just in my commentary, they talk about Moses being the mediator. Um, okay. Because if you notice, there is a reference to Exodus 20, 19. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself. So my commentary says um, that Moses is explicitly called the law's mediator in verse 19. A mediator communicated the intentions of each party, God and Israel. Thus, the law was a bilateral agreement. The words God is only one imply that the promise made to Abraham, unlike the giving of the law, was unilateral. In addition, if the law was written down by an angel and mediated by Moses, then it is doubly removed from being the direct action of God toward his people, unlike the promises of the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. Ah, okay. So, okay, I, I see what they're arguing there. They're arguing Mosaic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, which is what he's been doing in the, in the other previous examples. This is better because this is direct. This is God to Abraham, direct. And in the in and in Moses's one, well, we had all kinds of people interfering. Okay, we've got angels, we've got Moses, we've got God writing on stones, we've got Moses writing on stones. Everybody's breaking stones. We've all kind of got all kinds of trouble going on. That's possible. That's that m- might be a good way to to look at it. Okay, guys. So um, Paul is getting closer and closer to um, telling us what exactly the law was good for. Okay, uh, we haven't quite got there. We'll get there next week. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, Please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.